Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. On today's episode, I'm speaking with publisher Carl Abrahamson about the new book, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm very excited about my new book. Uh, I bet, because it's a nice one. Uh, maybe you could show me the book? Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics and Poetry. Uh, it's a massive tome, and I know that you worked really hard uh, on this for a long time. And there are many, many uh, contributions to the book. Uh, basically about these um, uh, things, you know, psychoanalytic perspectives, politics and poetry. And there's more to it too. So I think we should just start with you uh, talking a little bit about the background of the project as a book. Okay. Um, Well, it really all began in 2014 when uh, I had the idea to have a conference on systemic violence. And actually, the two books that came out this year on psychoanalysis and violence, contemporary Lacanian perspectives, and this both have papers from that conference included in them. Um, I had worked in the hospital system in America for four or five years and was really disenchanted with the way that my patients were treated um, and the way that the government-run healthcare ran and... Uh, the way that my caseload was constantly growing ever higher and our resources were being cut and grants were being cut. Um, So basically I became disenchanted with the uh, American systems before this kind of widespread uh, awakening that people seem to be having since 2016 um, that there's a big problem in the United States with the way the government is running. Um, so I wanted to have a conference about it, and the best way I knew how was to throw a psychoanalytic conference and have a bunch of psychoanalysts come and talk about uh, what we'd observed, what we could do, theorize violence, uh, systemic racism, oppression, and kind of brainstorm about what was going on and what where we could go from there. So um, the other book that I mentioned was born from that and then this book was as well. This book in particular came after um, the event that you came to with me in New York in January of 2017, so it was right after the election, and Stephen Reisner was giving a talk at the New School um, on Trump and called Crazy Like a Fox, and his argument was basically that people need to stop saying that Trump is demented or stupid and take it this seriously because that he was, you know, basically very manipulative and narcissistic and that it was a big problem for all of us. Um, And Chris Christian at the New School hosted that conference um, and Michael Moore was there and Steven Reisner ended up working with Michael Moore on the documentary Fahrenheit uh, 11.9 that came out also last year. Um, So I took you to that event and you had the idea of like, does this group that of psychoanalysts that I was a part of, Das Unbehagen, do we have a kind of journal or a book or 
somewhere where our writings are collectively, and we didn't, so we decided to kind of make one, and this is what it evolved into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's fascinating uh, for me, who's uh, not a psychoanalyst, but uh, certainly interested in it, uh, is this um, uh, fact that it's more than a profession in which you deal with um, therapeutic techniques to, to help patients, basically. But it, it's more than that, it's also a culture, uh, because there are many people who work with uh, with psychoanalysis, but not in this uh, patient, you know, doctor uh, dynamic, but use and implement the psychoanalytic theories on culture um, as a larger kind of entity, which includes politics, but it could also be applied on many, many different things. That I found, uh, and, and I find really, really interesting, uh, this cultural approach where a cluster of thoughts originally created for one thing can also be implemented and and uh, applied to another way of looking at much bigger things than one particular uh, destiny in a way um, so did you have any kind of uh, uh, what do you call it the discerning process in in regard to how much you wanted of each of these pieces like uh, did you want more or less of the politics uh, did you want more or less of the clinical uh, aspects and the poetry aspects how did it turn out uh, this way in terms of the mix um i actually really wanted it to be very eclectic to show exactly what you're talking about that psychoanalytic theory is not just for the consulting room or for therapeutic treatment but is also applicable in a variety of areas um, and actually the most places where psychoanalytic theory taught is taught nowadays is in the humanities. It's in humanities departments, literature departments, film theory departments. It's not really taught so much in psychology departments uh, anymore. So actually the humanities and these bright, broader cultural views have kind of kept psychoanalysis alive. Um, also with like women's theory, gender theory, uh, a lot of psychoanalysis is used in those kinds of studies as well, which is great. Um, but I really wanted to kind of showcase uh, all of these ways that psychoanalysis can be applied because I really feel that if more people that have nothing to do with psychoanalysis as a practice, but just average day-to-day -day citizens, if more people were more psychologically minded and realized that, you know, I think that we need to really showcase how there's so much going on underneath the surface and so many people are just looking at the overt events that are happening and the manifest events that are happening but really there's these larger systemic structures underneath the surface that are causing these events to happen in every way and that people need to stop being so reactionary and so reactive to the overt events that are happening and really take a step back and look at what's going on kind of just beneath the surface. And that's what psychoanalysis teaches people to do in their own lives, in their own individual uh, personalities and selves. But you can see that as a larger cultural phenomenon as well. So we have some uh, pieces that are addressing kind of psychoanalytic theory proper, like looking back at history of different psychoanalysts, what they said about a certain issue, like someone writes a paper like Rethinking the Oedipus Complex, somebody writes a paper uh, Rethinking Sabina Spielrein's contributions to psychoanalysis, those sorts of things. And then we have some papers that are more political, 
talking about uh, psychoanalytic theory is applicable to systematic oppression and racism, psychoanalytic theory looking at Trump and MAGA and fascism. Um, And then we have some pieces that are more clinical, looking at actually like working with patients and that sort of thing, things like countertransference and transference issues, um, and just kind of the idea of coming to the end of a psychoanalytic treatment and what that looks like. And then I wanted to make sure to include also what the process of psychoanalytic formation is for psychoanalysts themselves. How did they get into psychoanalysis? What was their trajectory like to become a psychoanalyst? Because I don't really think that's talked about much, and it's changed so much in the past hundred years um, that is really important for people and it makes it more accessible for people when they see kind of real people undergoing this process and what it looks like and how many different ways someone can come to become a psychoanalyst because you don't necessarily have to be a medical doctor or a psychologist or social worker. People come into it through the literature, people come into it through the arts and I wanted to showcase that as well. Do you think that's a kind of a survival strategy from from psychoanalysis as an entity almost? Uh, The fact that when it's pushed out of the uh, psychological teaching that it takes on other forms and morphs and enters these other areas? Yeah, I think that psychoanalysis, I mean, you can't kill it. I don't think you could ever get rid of psychoanalysis because it's just a way of looking at how our unconscious manifests. And the unconscious is always going to be trying to get people to understand what's going on under the surface. The unconscious is always going to be speaking to us. And the less we listen, the louder and more chaotic it gets to get our attention. Uh, That's where symptoms come from and panic attacks and depressive episodes and that sort of thing. And I think you could see that as a larger cultural scale as well. So I think that if you try to cut it out of psychology departments and people overtly talking about how this is useful, it's just found different ways for itself to manifest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, as a psychoanalyst uh, with a wide perspective, when you're looking at these things, uh, looking at uh, contemporary culture and politics and things like this, yet you're at heart a psychoanalyst. So, and you're you're uh, seeing patients. So, in that sense, uh, how would you? Uh, describe this thing that you call a systemic crisis, meaning the bigger picture, how would that be, what would the analogy be in terms of a more traditional uh, mirror, meaning familial structures? What, what, what's, uh, what would the analogy be? Well, I think you can look at it in, in much the way I was saying, is that uh, if you don't address a problem when it's first um, trying to get your attention. So say there's something that happened uh, in your family in early childhood that was traumatic and wasn't addressed. Um, People kind of put a lid on it, it's called repression, and tuck it away and they don't deal with it. And that's necessary, that's the way people survive and function without constantly being overwhelmed and in you know, crisis states all the time. So it's important to do that, but it's also important not to let things fester. So if something isn't dealt with and then it kind of continues to not be dealt with, your mind yourself will try to get your attention and get you to look at it so that you can address it and work through it and deal with it and kind of symbolize it and um, give it a place in your life story instead of just cutting it off and pushing it to the side. Because trauma is something that they say is not symbolizable. So if you can't uh, 
symbolize something, then you can't uh, process it, basically. So it just gets stuck in this kind of hole. Um, and that hole takes up a lot of energy. So your mind ends up using a lot of its own energy, of your own energy, to keep things repressed. And mm -hmm. that's not good for you after a while. So things need to come to the surface and be addressed. And psychoanalysis helps with that. And I think what we're seeing in the U.S. in particular, and as a, maybe a global economy as well, is that there's traumas in the U.S.'s history, clearly, that were never dealt with, like genocide of you know, the people that lived there before the Europeans came, um, and bringing slaves over, and that sort of thing. And these things are never dealt with, and these things are just kind of pushed to the side, and everyone says they're fine, just like in a family that might happen. Oh, this uncle did something awful to this young girl or something, and everyone just kind of looks the other way and tries to move on with their lives, but mm -hmm. that doesn't work. So I think what we're seeing is that things have just built up to a point where you can't ignore any longer the problems that were there and there's time for them to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, how on a greater uh, scale should they be addressed? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I think that's what everyone is trying to work out now. Um, from my corner of the world, I really think, as I said, that um, getting people to see more psychologically minded um, and in a way where they're looking at the structures in place instead of just the overt uh, events that are happening is important. So kind of taking a more wide angle view of what's going on. And I think there's a lot of people that do understand the systemic problems and the applications, but I think it's also hard to grasp uh, how pervasive they are and how widespread they are. Uh, there's this video that just came out last week, this week, um, that Molly Crabapple drew with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez narrating. And in that uh, video, which is about the Green New Deal, um, Ocasio-Cortez is kind of pretending it's the future and looking back at this time and the changes that we need to make to make a better future together. And one of the things she says, which I think was really great, she not only points out that um, the Green New Deal will help get us off of oil and fossil fuels and into clean energy, which we clearly need to do, but doing that and switching over all the infrastructure will create a lot of jobs which people need. And also she points out that there's this gap in knowledge that people have because we've lived kind of abusing the earth for so long and not in tune with nature, that there's a gap in knowledge of how we're going to do things in a way that will work with nature instead of just um, manipulating her and abusing her in this way. Um, and she said that's when the politicians can go to the indigenous elders and get their knowledge because they're people that are still in tune with the earth mm -hmm. and people that are still um, working in a way that's facilitating working with the earth instead of against it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really great that she pointed out and I think that's something that's going to have to happen more and more mm -hmm. for people not to be so one-sided in their point of views, but look at other viewpoints, especially those that have been historically neglected. Mm. Well, then you have a kind of a, a political message being uh, uh, encompassed or, or enshrined in a cultural expression, meaning an artistic expression that is then disseminated via the internet. So it's a kind of a merger that's necessary because politics on one hand seems to uh, turn people off in a way, whereas the artistic stuff can be too wishy-washy but maybe the merger is interesting uh, and what made me think of that was of course the fact that you um, um, 
have decided to include not only in the podcast in general but also in the book include like poetry and artistic writing uh, which is not conventional within the academic world for instance so that's a huge difference between your rendering unconscious uh, project when we have the podcast and there's also this book this series of books and talks uh, why is that important to to uh, include sort of voices from the irrational spheres um, I think that it's absolutely important to include the arts and poetry moving forward. I think, at least in the U.S., um, that's something that's been very neglected and uh, unvalued. Um, like in schools, they're constantly cutting humanities programs, they're constantly cutting arts programs, everything's focused on like uh, things like STEM and research and things that are evidence-based. And I think doing that, you know, of course those things are important as well, but it's important for humans to be well-rounded. And there's a lot that we can say through the arts and poetry that we can't necessarily say in a rational, linear way. Um, I think poetry is essential. And Freud himself said that every time he came to a new idea or theory, there was always a poet that had been there before. Mm. Um, so it's really along those lines and honoring that kind of tradition and that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And there, I also happen just to know a lot of poets that said things um, in a very beautiful way that mirrored a lot of the pe more academic pieces that are included in the book. So I tried to include some of those poems alongside the pieces that I thought they reflected. Mm -hmm. And it also, of course, ties in with uh, the conference that we're arranging in Italy uh, late May, uh, which also has a, a you know a psychoanalytic presence, almost permeating everything. But there's also this uh, focus on poetry specifically. I'd say poetry as something else, not only as a as a personal expression, but pro poetry as magic in a way. Poetry as uh, political uh, comment uh, commenting and and. Um, um, is that something that you will work with uh, consistently in future editions of Rendering Unconscious, again, both the podcast uh, and the book? That's to have a good this question. vital mix. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I assume so. I hadn't thought about it, whether I would or wouldn't, or if that was just something specific that worked well with this edition. Um, but I assume so, because I also encourage not only people to write poetry, but I encourage psychoanalysts to write more creative pieces, like you said, like creative nonfiction or whatever they'd like. So there's a couple of pieces uh, in there like that, like Stephen Reisner wrote a piece that's sort of a memoir piece from his childhood. Uh, and Chiara Bottici, who's a, a philosopher, she wrote not only a political piece, but she also contributed a piece called The Excluded, mm -hmm. which is sort of this uh, tale of going into an analyst's office and then... I won't tell you the ending, mm -hmm. but it's more creative journey, a creative piece. And I think even for the pieces that are more academic or straightforward um, in that way, straightforward essays, um, I encourage people to write more what they think and what they'd like to say rather than feeling like they have to justify everything they say mm -hmm. because they feel like that's 
really something that happens in academia that kind of holds us back in a way. So of course, it's important to cite sources and read the literature and all of that, but also it's important to give some freedom for people who are academics and have been trained for their whole lives to be able to say what they think at a certain point and not just kind of rehash what other people have said or have to justify what they think based on what people have thought in the past. Mm -hmm. I think it's more a commie that said if everybody read the same books, then we would all say the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's important for people to, yes, be well-read, but also be able to be creative in their work. So I wanted people to be able to contribute things that might not be published in an academic journal, but they're welcome to publish them here. Mm -hmm. It kind of like a door opener between the, the right brain and the left brain, in a way. Mm -hmm. So why, why should people buy this book? People should buy this book because it's a project that's been two years in the making and it's collected um, an eclectic group of international scholars together. We have people from North America, South America, Europe, um, all over the place and um, it's a bunch of, I don't know, really wonderful thinkers presenting basically what they're interested in talking about now. Because a lot of times when you put a book together, there's a theme and everybody's supposed to write for that topic. Same thing with a conference. But with this book, I just kind of encouraged everyone to write what they felt like writing now. Like, what are you thinking about now? What are you working on now? What do you want to say? What do you have to say? So I gave people a lot of autonomy in that way. Um, and I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, my... my um sort of impression when I when I flip through this is that it has the um, academic weight in a way but it's not heavy you know it, it's it's uh, so mixed with uh, and I wouldn't say lighter pieces but pieces of a different kind so it makes for a very uh, pleasant mix it's a pleasant read you know you go from from some heavy analysis pieces over to to a poem and then there's something distinctly cultural so it, it certainly is like a bouquet that shows very well how psychoanalytic perspectives can be applied on so many different cultural fields. So, and I know, of course, that that's, that's your approach when it comes to the podcast, too, because you have had many conversations with uh, analysts proper, uh, but you've also had them with, with um, you know, uh, artists and cultural people. Is that something that you'll carry on doing? Also in that kind of mix? Absolutely, because I feel like it's very important for these uh, different people to speak to one another. And that's one of the big problems in all of our fields, I mm. think, is that we're all kind of talking to ourselves or the people in our immediate circle or the people in our immediate kind of sphere or field of study. And I think cross-disciplinary and interdisciplinary work is very important. That's how, I mean, I would love like the idea of salons where like artists and thinkers and analysts and whoever mm -hmm. all gets together and brainstorms. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like that. Um, and that's how I think of the podcast as well. And as far as cultural pieces in this book, it's like, I can give you an idea, like there's a piece about Bataille in the book, there's, there's film theory in the book. Um, there's a piece by Simon Critchley and Brad Evans on the theater of violence talking about, um, you know, the kind of spectacle of violence that this has become. Um, and then there's also pieces about like Duchamp and Dada, um, as Olga Cox Cameron wrote about, um, 
colonialism in Ireland and the effect it's had on the population growing up. Um, then we have people writing from Brazil and Italy. Uh, so even though we talked a lot about kind of what's going on in America and mm -hmm. North America at this time, the book has a lot more in it than that. Yeah, it's truly an international mix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And um, then we have the conference. Would you like to talk a little bit about the, your ideas uh, behind the conference? Uh, Again, because it is a very interesting mix of people and of topics, yet it fits very well under this umbrella. That's true. Um, well, the idea for the first conference, so this is the second conference in kind of a series, which I'm sure will be ongoing. Um, and the idea for the first conference was around 2015. It was actually after I had the conference with Manya Steinkohler on violence um, and systemic violence in all its forms. Um, it was kind of depressing to study that for a year, putting that conference together and reading all the literature on it and listening to three days of papers about it. It was important, but also difficult. So I wanted for the next conference to be something more fun, <laughs> um, more creative, uh, because it was it's really heavy to study that for so long. And so um, I had the idea that I wanted to do something about creativity and the arts and decided to include occultism as well. And in that way, it's not just, you know, the occultism that people think of, like, of course, Freud studied thought transference and that sort of thing, and that's very interesting. But it's also more like what I was saying before with including different worldviews uh, that have been kind of shunned as the occult or, like, demonized as something primitive or childlike uh, psychologically, when really, you know, folk magic practices have been around forever since humans have been around and that's the way that humans learn to work with the world and work with the earth so i think getting back to those indigenous practices um, and getting back to those kinds of roots can really help people be more in tune with nature and their surroundings and of course if people had been in tune with that more this whole time probably we wouldn't have brutalized the earth the way we did um so that's really what i mean when i mean to get back to the occult um ideas and that's why I wanted to include them and that's why we have different speakers from different uh, practices and religions like Santeria and Kimbanda and Vudo uh, all included so it's the occult in you know the Freudian kind of western mystical way but it's also more indigenous practices mm -hmm. um, I think that's important and I also feel that those kinds of practices are are essentially very creative and they go along with the creative spirit that humans have um, putting thing, different things together from the earth and making something new come from it and something new that gives humans a self, sense of self-agency in the world and that's really important as well mm -hmm. and what about the new one how is that mix going to be well we have some of the same people coming from the first one but only about a handful um, and then the rest of the people coming are new, which is great. And it's a good mix of some psychoanalysts, some philosophers, um, and some magical practitioners. Um, so we have, uh, like for the psychoanalysts, actually a paper in this book that was written by Elizabeth Punzi and Paramanus Johansson on the writing and poetry of H.D. 
who is a poet who was in analysis with Freud and was a partner of Ezra Pound for a period of time. And part of our conference is going to be held at Brunnenberg Castle, which was Ezra Pound's home. So I think it's lovely that they'll be presenting on her work at that castle. Um, and then Katie Bohens, who presented the last conference, she's a poet, uh, astrologer, data analyst, um, and writer, and she's going to be talking about poetry and its kind of potential and creative magic. Um, so we have a few pieces on poetry, per se. Um, then we have Blanche Barton coming, and she's going to be presenting uh, The Roots of Satanism. And then we have um, Jesse Hathaway-Diaz coming to speak. He's going to speak on Santa Muerte. So there we have more practitioners' mm -hmm. pieces. Um, anyone you'd like to mention? No, I, I, I think that uh, we can uh, we have advertised the, the contents and the speakers. And it's just, uh, again, what fascinates me, and I, I'm not on the outside uh, in terms of the conference or, or the book, but again, it's fascinating for me to watch a, a very vital uh, scene, a very vital culture. And, and uh, I think you're doing an excellent job in opening these doors for people to, to you know, look through and see that, wow, that's actually interesting. I thought it was dusty or, or, or from the other point of view, dangerous or, or irrational. But actually, there are so many uh, tangents that actually interlock, intertwine, uh, because it has to do essentially with deeper aspects of the human mind, uh, or if we dare go there, the soul in a way, basically deeper layers of of, of the human existence and these fractions they all look at that but with different goggles but the problems and the solutions might actually be the same it's just a matter of you know maybe polishing the goggles so that they're neutral so in that sense it's very uh, interesting to put uh, different perspectives together in the book and in the conference in vivo because that's really where where uh, uh, new epiphanies can arise in these uh, not chance meetings, but you know uh, almost enforced meetings with these different environments and their thinkers and they're all very intelligent and very very uh, uh, creative so that that conference is going to be uh, excellent yeah you know, that's one of the things I had in mind to do is to have this cross disciplinary approach, but yeah. not just cross disciplinary being like these different kinds of psychoanalysis Freudians and unions, yeah. <laughs> right, but like the psychoanalysts, not just with philosophers mm -hmm. but people from that they really don't often meet with, yeah. uh, like magical practitioners mm. um and the importance to me with the three different ways that m or modalities is that they're all ways that people can kind of learn about themselves and understand themselves better, but also have more of a sense of agency in the world. And I think that's really what connects them for me, like uh, to work through something in psychoanalysis and understand the patterns in your family history and the family dynamic and how that's played out in your own life and how you've repeated them over and over as a way to try to understand them and then to finally like have some perspective where you can start to see them for yourself and then make different choices so that you're not constantly acting and enacting and reenacting the same patterns over and over again but can have some space to kind of step back and choose to act in a different way and and make a new path and a new pattern for yourself and have that sort of agency in the world and I think that's one thing that's really different from psychoanalysis than a lot of other kinds of therapy and why it's important is that a, uh, when you go to therapy a lot of times people go there expecting the therapist 
to give them advice, to tell them what to do, to give them hints on like how to live a better life or how to manage stress. And it's great to have all these tools for how to manage stress and that sort of thing. But really the therapist or the analyst needs to take a step back and not be giving so much advice. Like people need to stop looking for other to other people for the answers and they need to just have the space to be able to reflect on themselves and to be able to find the answers for themselves in their own life. And that's the only way that people ever feel a sense of agency uh, and autonomy. And that's really when people feel more comfortable in the world, I feel. is not when they are dependent on other people to help them, but when they can help themselves by understanding themselves. And I feel like uh, the occult practices and folk magic practices also give people the sense of uh, agency in the world. where They have the tools around them. It doesn't need to be... They don't need to go to someone to ask them for help. They can just look around their house and be like, I have these herbs and these kinds of things, or go to their favorite lake or go to their mm. favorite spot and, you know, say a prayer, say an invocation, whatever, and kind of situate themselves, set their intentions, and put their own kind of will to work for themselves. And artists the same way. You know, a lot of people think of artists as like people that are disturbed and working through, you know, their aggressive impulses or whatever through the arts and that they kind of need it to survive. And sure, it can help if people are feeling really impulsive or in difficult situations. It can be a great sublimation, but it's also a great way to express themselves or to put their own will and intentions out into the world in these beautiful forms that they've created. Um, so I think that all of these ways really help people to have more sense of themselves and their, themselves as individuals. And instead of taking on some sort of dogma that they've been taught what to think, they can think for themselves more in these ways. Mm -hmm. So I think that people practicing any one of these is great, but if they do two or three, that's even better. <laughs> these are all great things to do The more yourself. the merrier. Mm -hmm. Great. Anything that you'd like to, to add concerning the book or the conference? or I will say there's also two other speakers that I'll just mention really quickly because they're kind of in the same spirit. Uh, Demetrius Lacroix is speaking about voodoo, but also about uh, specifically Marie Laveau and her as like a, a spiritual worker um, in times that, that are tough. So using what I'm saying as spirituality as a way to have a sense of agency in the world um, when someone's being persecuted and that sort of thing. And then, uh, like a revelatory uh, way. And then Langston Kahn is speaking about um, looking at the parts of ourselves that are hurt or aggressive, like the shadow side, as Jung would say, and kind of learning about ourselves and also working with our ancestors and thinking about past trauma that's been transmitted through the generations and how important that is to like this larger cultural healing that people need to really look at themselves and see what's been going on with themselves as individuals, but also uh, culturally in order to move forward. Wonderful then I wish you and us a lot of success with the book. <laughs> Rendering <laughs> Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics and Poetry. It's a great book. It really is. And this beautiful cover artwork is by Alison Blickall. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I love it. And she's amazing. Mm -hmm. And it wraps around. <laughs> yeah. And she's one of these people. She's, a, she's an occult practitioner artist. Mm. So she's using two of the three. Mm. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion about the new book, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry, published this year by Trapart Books. To grab your copy, please visit their website, www.trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can also find more information about the book at my website, drvanessasinclair.net or at renderingunconscious.org. to allow for things to.